Hot Springs Village Inside Out is a closer look at the greatness of Hot Springs Village, Arkansas and the surrounding areas, people, places, experiences. Hot Springs Village is one of the most beautiful places on earth. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host, Dennis Simpson, as we engage in weekly conversations to explore Hot Springs Village Inside Out. Today's show is brought to you by Central Arkansas's favorite radio station, KVRE. Find them on the dial at 92.9 FM. Stream them live at kvre.com. Remax of Hot Springs Village. The award-winning Remax of Hot Springs Village is the largest real estate office inside the village with over 30 full-time agents and support staff. Visit them to learn more about this beautiful place to solve your real estate needs. Call them today at 1-800-364-9007. Find them online at explorehsv.com. They are Remax of Hot Springs Village at one 800 364-9007 or online at explorehsv.com Ike Eisenhower State Farm Ike and his award-winning team have been serving the insurance needs of folks all around Hot Springs Village since 1998 Ike has qualified for State Farm's President's Club, Chairman's Circle and Hot Springs Village Insurance Agent of the Year Call Ike Eisenhower State Farm today at 501-984-4100. That's 501-984-4100. Find them online at IkeEisenhower.net. Call them today for all your insurance needs because, like a good neighbor, Ike Eisenhower State Farm is there. Hot Springs Village Inside Out, Dennis Simpson, my friend Mr. Jeff Meeks. Jeff, how is it in Dallas today? It's much cooler, thank goodness. Thank we're the Lord above, having, right? You're actually having 70-degree nights instead of 89-degree nights and 80-degree uh, days. And, yeah, it's um, it stopped sizzling down here. Yeah, you, uh, y- y'all were giving Phoenix a run for its money there for a while, right? They were. I mean, we had just week after week of 102 to 107. It was just absurd. It was brutal is what it was. It was. Uh, I want to make note, uh, we're going to have you back in the village and we're going to be doing a book signing soon, but I want to talk about your books first before we talk about the book signing. And I I, I made note and I haven't read all of them and, and you've dedicated an amazing amount of time to this and it's fascinating. But I think one of the greatest things is, is that so many times people will latch on to a conclusion. And then everything they do is to try and support that conclusion. That's not what you do, is it? No, it, it isn't. Um, I think uh, anybody who acts like they have all the answers to the Kennedy assassination is um, is out of bounds. I mean, it's so complicated uh, that you just can't know everything. Is, is mean, that why we're still talking about it 50 years later? I think so. I think, you know, for people, at least my generation, I'm 73 years old, you're much younger, but you know, it it was, that was our Pearl Harbor, you know, um, everyone around my age still 60 years later remembers where they were. Mm -hmm. And especially in my uh, most current book, the JFK files, pieces of the assassination puzzle, um, 
I had a one-star review on Amazon and the person said something to the effect that, you know, there's nothing really here to, to, to sway you one way or the other. Well, that's not the point of uh, my latest book, The JFK Files, uh, or to a lesser degree in the other books. The purpose of the book is to share with readers and researchers what I've learned from uh, interviewing many of the real players uh, in this assassination saga. And I can give you a few examples if you want. Well, yeah, but let me let me let me go back for one more point before we go there. So you've come to the realization after 60 years that if somebody has a, a, a hard fought position, you're probably not going to change their minds. Right. I agree. So yeah. it, it's a matter of discussing uh, substantive issues around that and helping people. I, 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 you know, I find it amazing. I, I have more questions than I have answers at this point. Is there where you are after all these years of investigating? To a large degree, yeah. Really, still? Yeah, because uh, you know, there's so much diversity of opinion. Um, there's a lot of junk out there. Right. I mean, uh, oops, that's my phone. Sorry about that. No, no problem. No problem. Well, well, I tell you what. You had mentioned in the pre-roll here before we hit the button that the the variety of people that you've had the opportunity to uh, interview, which is is uh, mind-boggling, frankly. From I don't know Sam Giancano's daughter to uh, explain to people that weren't of that time what what kind of people you interview and what kind of what can we can expect to see in this book. Okay, what you'll see are. Uh, most of it is interviews I've done with uh, those who had a lot of connection to that weekend. Hmm. Uh, for example, Buell Wesley Frazier, a co-worker of Lee Harvey Oswald, who uh, was the person who drove him uh, to Irving, Texas, on Friday nights and then back to work on Monday mornings because Lee would spend the weekends with Ruth Payne uh, and, her, and his wife, Marina, at Ruth Payne's house. Also, uh, you'll see extensive interviews with Ruth Payne, um, a fellow researcher, just in some back and forth. Uh, in fact, he's one of the uh, his name is Bill Simpich. He's one of the two lawyers that's suing the Biden administration for release of documentation. Hmm. Just in some back and forth with him, he told me once, he said, you know, I think Ruth Payne trusts you more than anyone. And you need to ask her, you know, A, B, C and D. And I said, OK. I'll ask. And, um, you know, if you have some idea and questions, I think I know what to ask, but if you want to send me some suggestions, that's fine. So I contacted Ruth, who's one of three people, maybe still alive that have spent any time with Lee Harvey Oswald. And I told her, and we had interviewed previously just about her experience, but surrounding Ruth Payne all these years is the notion that she is CIA connected. Hmm. And so we I called her and said, what would you think about doing an interview about all these rumors that you're CIA connected? And she said, well, what would the point of that be? And I said, the point would be that you get to answer those, for lack of a better word, charges. Right. And so she did. And we did a two-part interview. And I brought up the fact that her sister, Sylvia, it, it's, there's no doubt that she worked for the CIA, Um and so we addressed several matters. It's all in the book about those who say that she was CIA connected. She knew a woman by the name of Mary Bancroft, 
who was CIA director Alan Dulles's mistress. Uh, there's a lot of intrigue there, but um, every time I'm asked about Ruth uh, at the end, like I'm about to do right now, I do not see any evidence of her being a witting uh, CIA handler of Lee Harvey Oswald. Another really uh, fascinating interview that um, I did was with uh, Van Hardway, who, along with Ed Lopez, were two uh, investigators uh, hired. They were Cornell Law students, and they were hired by the House Select Committee on Assassinations to look into the the CIA and, and the assassination. So they would go over to um, the CIA on, a, on, I guess, a daily basis and ask for certain documentation. And um, he told me how um, they were making some progress, although he could never get the file on a CIA person that we're all very interested in, and that's Bill Harvey. He could never get that file. And suddenly, uh, a person from within the CIA says, you know, you guys are asking for a lot of stuff here, and uh, we're, we're going to bring in this other fella. Uh, his name is George Joannides. Uh, he's retired. Um, he has nothing to do with the Kennedy assassination. But he knows our filing system really well, and he'll be he'll be a real asset for you. And so that happens. And Dan talks about how the flow of information just stopped. Really? But what, was, what was learned 15 years later, thanks to a Freedom of Information Act request by Jeff Morley, who I did a two part interview, and he's also in the book, former Washington Post uh, uh, reporter and author of some really good books. What he found was that this George Joannides, he wasn't some retired file clerk. One of the things that they were trying to find out is who's running this anti-Castro organization that Oswald is in touch with. And I won't spell out the real long name. It's, it's just known as the DRE. And it's well-known fact that Lee Harvey Oswald was in touch with the DRE uh, in New Orleans, if I may. Sure, 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 sure. Of course, you know, I mean, to be fair. He and, was when in he touch. Met, and when he met with Bring, this DRE representative in New Orleans by the name of Carlos Bringuer, he was trying to sell himself as someone who could help train these um, uh, anti-Castro troops. Yeah. And, and Bringuer was kind of, eh, I don't know about this guy. Well, he showed up the next day. Oswald showed up the next day with his Marine Corps Manual. Training manual. Now, this is not Oswald's, but this is what he had. <clears throat> and this Carlos Bringuer was the head of the DRE. I'm kind of wandering off. It gets a bit complicated. So this George Joannides was the CIA agent who was running the DRE. He was a guy who the House Select Committee on Assassination was looking for was trying to interview to find out more about the connection between Oswald, Bringuer, the DRE, and the CIA. And the CIA told the House Select Committee on Assassinations, he's just a file guy. He's just a file guy who knows the file, and he's retired. Not, yeah, Man, not. he doesn't have anything to do with the Kennedy assassination. Oh, when in fact, he, was, he would have been one of the most important witnesses they could have ever gotten to uh, take testimony under oath. Another really interesting interview that... Uh, <coughs> that I enjoyed a lot, and I, th I hope think readers did well, uh, was with a lady by the name of Sue Vogelsinger. 
and she was in the Kennedy administration, <clears throat> excuse me, and she flew to Dallas on November 22nd, 63, but she stayed with Air Force One while the motorcade did their thing, and and she gets well, worried. Why, um, why would she do that? She was more of a secretary type. There was okay. really no reason for her to go along. Okay. Um, so she gets word that the president's dead, and they're bringing his body back to Air Force Not One. just shot, but dead. Dead. So she and her associate, I'd have to look up what her name is, but to make room on Air Force One, they get on, I guess it would be Air Force Two. I don't know. Yeah, the backup plane. Yeah, just to make some room on Air Force One. And she talks about the atmosphere on that plane, that um, there were some Texas uh, politicians there that weren't at all disturbed that Kennedy had been killed. Nobody was shedding a tear. Nobody was shedding a tear. And, and if I remember right, I probably won't be able to quote it, but uh, it, it got so bad that the Secret Service took her, Sue, and her associate back to another part of the plane so they wouldn't have to hear any more about it. Really? Yeah. And then I interviewed Buell Frazier, who worked with Oswald, who drove Oswald to uh, to work on November 22nd, 1963. Uh, and he was working where at the time? At the Texas School Book Depository. In fact, that's the fella. When Lee first got the job there on October 14th or 16th, just, you know, like six weeks before the assassination, hmm. um, he was trained by Buell Wesley Frazier. And it just turned out to be that he lived down the street from Ruth Payne. And it's at Ruth Payne's house where Oswald's wife and child were living while Lee lived in downtown Dallas during the week and he'd go to work on Friday. Frazier would take him to Irving on Friday night and then they would both come back to work on Monday morning. So Ruth Payne, Buell Frazier, Marina Oswald, who won't talk to anyone. Um, you know, two of the three who spent considerable time with Oswald are uh, extensively mentioned in the new book. So I've really lucked out and, and uh, um, met and interviewed some really interesting people Um the daughter of a uh, Dallas police officer that um, deputy sheriff, I'm sorry, that I think made a, a, a very interesting discovery. It would take five minutes to explain it. I don't know if you want, want me to go into it or not, but um, just um, I think that's one area. I encourage other researchers to, you know, it, it is it's 60 years later. Most of these people are dead and gone. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you don't know what to believe. Um, but what I've learned, and I encourage other researchers to do the same, is find family members. Mm-hmm. Because I can tell you from experience that what some of these police, law enforcement people said on the record is mm-hmm. not what they told their family around the dinner table. Really? Yes, sir. Well, let me come back to just a couple of questions. Number one, the the, the five-minute discussion we need to have here, they could probably have that on the book signing that will be what day? Uh, I'm going to be at the Hot Springs Village Voice Office on Monday, November 13th, from 9.30 to 11, and 1.30 to 2.30. And then the next day, if I may, is the Washita Speaker Series mm-hmm. event for November, starting at 4 o'clock, 4 o'clock, not 7 o'clock, 4 o'clock. And I'll be part of a three-person panel to discuss aspects of the assassination. And I think I'll probably talk about Oswald and the CIA. I was um, just I was just going to ask in in 
How many years have you done this, Jeff, overall? When did you kind of start looking at this? March 6th, 1975. Yeah. You, uh, it, if I'm not mistaken, this is when the Zacruder tape was released, and you saw this yeah. on Nightline. Yeah, and, Robert, yeah. Robert Groden was uh, the person that night that had the courage to show it. In fact, Robert wrote the foreword for my new book. Oh, really? Yeah. So, well, so I appreciate of that. But I want, who else, I want to tell you who else is at the Watchtower Speaker Series. Okay, sure, sure, sure. My, myself and then Dr. Michael Chesser who is one of a very few non-military, non-government doctors who got permission from the uh, Kennedy family to uh, examine uh, the president's autopsy uh, materials and photographs. So Mm -hmm. he's going to be talking about what he sees, saw, and believes. And then the third member of the panel will be Dr. Uh, David Montague, who was a, a member of the Assassination Records Review Board back in from 94 to 98. And um, their job was to go across around the country and into the archives and try to get as many um, things released as possible. And that Assassination Records Review Board was a product of, we've got to back up a few years, the JFK movie by Oliver Stone, mm-hmm. which ignited interest like wildfire in the country. And to respond to that, our government passed the uh, 1992 JFK Records Collection Act, which said, you know, if you are an agency or an entity and you have documentation, you need to release it or you have to tell us why you won't. Mm -hmm. And so to put teeth in that, they created the Assassination Records Review Board. Now, the act was passed in 92. The review board didn't get started until 94. Why? I can tell by the look on your face. Ask why. Well, the president at that time was Mr. George Bush one, a former CIA director Mm -hmm. who um, Judge Thunheim, who uh, chaired the Assassination Records Review Board. His interview is also in the book. He mentioned how Bush drug his feet and it wasn't until Clinton was uh, elected that the review board actually got up and running and did so for four years. So Dr. Uh, David Montague, um, he's on the panel with Dr. Chester and myself, and he'll be talking about his assassination records review board experiences. And um, they're both, um, their stories are amazing. So so let's recap though. That's the Washington Speaker Series. That is at 4 p.m. on the 20... Uh, on Tuesday, November 14th. November 14th, Tuesday, November 14th. On the 13th. Tuesday, November 14th. And on the 13th, you're going to be at the offices of the Village Voice yeah. from 9 to... 9.30 to 11 and one thirty to 2.30 on Monday the 13th and the Washita Speaker Series event at 4 p.m. on November 14th. And that's so you and I can take a really long lunch on Monday. I like that. So, uh, <laughs> El Padrino's, two margaritas, please. Anyway. Uh, two? Uh, well, well, I don't know what you're having. <laughs> No, what I was getting at is, is that you've spent so many years looking into this it, and these characters, for the most part, some of the major ones, they're either known to you or you probably feel as if you know them. So Lee Harvey Oswald, give me just a profile because he, to be frank about it, he's one of the most intriguing people. I didn't say, you know, honorable or whatever, but he's just He's a pretty fascinating guy, don't you think? He is. He is. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. Dennis, he was barely 24 years old, had been in the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, some people think Oswald was an idiot, but he was uh, trained to be a radar operator. 
hmm. at, a, at, a, uh, at Sugi Naval Air Station where the um, secret U-2 spy planes were flying out of, as, as well as other locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Francis Gary Powers' flight that was shot down eventually in 1960 did not originate at Oswald's location. But right. <clears throat> so he's in the Marine Corps. He defects. Mm-hmm. Shows, up Soviet, Russian, uh, 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 shows up at the Russian. Shows up in Russia. You know, I want to defect. I'm a, a Marine. I, I know radar secrets of the U-2. Blah, blah, blah. He marries a woman over there whose uncle is in the secret police. Uh, he somehow comes up with enough money to get back to America. He's watched like a hawk at first by the FBI. He's been on the CIA's radar for years. Now, let, let me let me ask just just to just you know because I've always wanted to ask this question: Why was Oswald not in the brig for court martial and spent the rest of his years in Leavenworth? I, if I if I was a if I was a Marine who had secret military information and I knew how to run the radar and I just happened to show up at a Russian diplomat diplomatic office and declare that I wanted to defect and then I, I miraculously just arrived back in America. Yeah, you get a state. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a very, very good question. Not only that, but he was given a loan by the State Department to come back. And a there loan. were other fa- and there were other false defectors at that time. Robert Webster was another one that was very well known. And several of these false defectors that were coming back, you know, they were sent over there like Oswald to try to learn things. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they came back and and they were debriefed. Well, the, the CIA will say that Oswald was never debriefed. When he got back, he was met by a man by the name of Spaz Rankin, who worked for the Traveler's Aid Society. And that's kind of where it stood for quite a long time. But um, if you were right over here at my file cabinet, <laughs> I could show you some files on Spaz uh, T. Rankin that show that he was at least one, at one time connected with the CIA. Here's another interesting thing about Oswald going overseas. <laughs> he gets a hardship discharge out of the blue to go home, take care of his mother, who had a box of candy or something fall on her face. And a few days later, off he goes to the Soviet Union. And the, he said the reason he was going is he was going to attend Albert Schweitzer College in uh, Switzerland uh, to learn about photography. And so the assassination occurs and our government starts looking into everything that they can, supposedly. And so they start, they want to know more about Albert Schweitzer College. So they contact the Swiss officials and information about Albert Schweitzer College. They write back, we can't find any Albert Schweitzer College. Well, they keep digging and they finally found it in a small town. It's a very small college and apparently... You know, Oswald never showed up there. Right, sure. Apparently they had, as I understand it, um, you know, they weren't doing really well. They didn't have a whole lot of students. And so they developed, like in the village, they have the Friends of the Trails. Right. Well, they developed the Friends of Albert Schweitzer College. Yeah. And the man who ran that, we found out in the mid-1970s, was also connected to four CIA fronts. Percival Brundage. Mm-hmm. So now you have Oswald to continue to try to answer your question. He now comes back to the United States. Um, I believe he was on a mission to New Orleans. I believe he was on a mission to Mexico City. And I think he was up to something in 
uh, Dallas. But to your point, yeah, um, barely 24 years old. And to experience all that, he, you know, he was uh, a very mysterious guy. Needless to say, needless to say, I, I, and we don't want to cover everything in the book, but I, I just wanted some teasers. A couple of things I wanted to bring back, and I've always wondered these two, and thanks for your time, Jeff, obviously. Uh, once again, you'll be here on the 13th, signing books from 9 to 11 at the Village Voice. and 9.30 to 11. 9.30 to 11, and then 2.30 to 4? 1.30 to 2.30. 1.30 to 2.30. On yeah, Monday the 13th, and okay. then they go. Speaker and then the Arsenal Speaker Series on the 14th at 4 p.m. And I'm just repeating all that. We'll we'll do some other things to to play that up here in a minute. I, I guess so. Uh, contemporaneous to that would be uh, Martin Luther King, a, a tragedy, a very sad event. Uh, certainly, I don't believe orchestrated to the same degree. But uh, the CIA was tracking Martin Luther King, and it was a well-known thing that Martin Luther King, a, a pastor had mistresses. He was not a saint in any stretch like we might make him out to be, although he a remarkable guy. I'm not going to argue any point about that. But, you know, we don't have a problem in releasing those files 50 years later. And for those that don't know, typically secret files are typically held for about 50 years. Is that correct? Yeah, typically. Um, and I think that number is picked because they think a lot of people that were germane to the happening are, are gone by then. A generational changeover of yeah. sorts, as it were. Yeah. And and I think a lot of the things, they'll, they'll do the 50 years, but if they think it could still harm national interest, they'll continue it or extend it a little longer or whatever. Uh, the Thresher event, something like this, submarines that, that implode, blah, 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 blah. You know, we keep those secret about 50 years, but we're, we're going on 60 plus. What's going on? Now, you know, a lot of people ask that question, whether it's the Martin Luther King uh, assassination <clears throat> or the JFK assassination or even the RFK assassination. Mm. Um, you bring up Martin Luther King. Um, you know, my focus all these many years has been on obviously JFK. I don't know a whole lot about the RFK assassination, mm -hmm. but I do know there's a lot more bullet holes in that kitchen than there were bullets in that chamber of that guy's gun. I mean, Remarkable, no isn't it? <laughs> Remarkable. Um, about the Martin Luther King assassination, I haven't studied that. I think I own one book on that, but I just found for a very reasonable price um, the 13 volumes that the House Select Committee on Assassinations issued in 1979 when they issued uh, the JFK assassination volumes, which are these. They also... Um, <clears throat> released a set on Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination, and I bought those, and they should be here by Saturday. Oh, I got to hear. I want to peek this. at that stuff too. I and bet. I've got, I bet. I've got about ten volumes of hearings of Watergate down there. And <laughs> oh my lord! It's, an, know, illness. I, it, it, it's an illness. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell a story that I think will associate things for people because I didn't understand this. I really didn't get it. But but let me tell this story for you for a moment. Um, <clears throat> there was a girl named Linda Ronstadt. OK, and she had a backup band and the backup band, a couple of guys from the backup band from the, they played at the Troubadour sometimes in in uh, uh, in California, in Southern California. And uh, they actually lived in an apartment 
and they were trying to play music and write music. They wanted to make a living at music. And uh, there was a guy who lived in the dirt dugout basement below them who had a piano. And he, they learned how to write a song by hearing the guy in the basement below them every morning. He would get up about nine or nine thirty, and he would dun dun dun. You write that down. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. And he would just write. He, so so the guys above him, who were in the backup band for Linda Ronstadt, would sit and listen to dun 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 dun, and they heard how you write a song. Let's see, that would be uh, "Doctor My Eyes" by Jackson Brown. Okay. And then the guys above in the floor behind them were Mr. Fly and Fry and Mr. Henley from the Eagles that went off and made their own band. Yeah. And, My favorite and, group, by the way. Do what's that? My favorite group, by the way. Oh, by incredibly far. talented guys. Incredibly Seen talented. Them three times, and I'm looking forward to the fourth. Oh, wow. Well, and you're going to have Mr. Vince Gill this time, right? Yeah, I've seen him the last time. They were in uh, Fort Worth last year. And they're so cheap to get those tickets, right? Oh, yeah. They're like $2.50 each. I add a couple more decimals, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, there's, there. there's, it, it takes a couple of book sales, people. I'm just exp- I'm saying the man saying, needs to sell some books. And, I, see the and I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> not disagreeing. But my, my point being here is that the associations, that we don't live in Southern California. I've never run in those circles. I wouldn't have no idea. I know Henley's from the Dallas area, but, you know, I have no idea, no idea how how all these people intermesh with each other. You, I suspect, didn't either until you started talking to someone who may or may have not been a CIA operative that knew somebody else who was a CIA operative, who was a CIA employee, who had associated with the CIA. It, it seems as if there's a, I hate the word synergy, but there is a cohesion to a lot of these stories. Is that fair enough, Jeff? I think it is. Yeah. Uh, it's just, um, I think you said when we started, um, or before we, you know, in a prior conversation that, um, the more you've looked into this and, um, like many of us, the more you look into it, you get more questions and answers. Yeah. And it kind of leads you to this and to that and this person to that person. And, you know, I'll interview, uh, person A, and they'll say, you know, have you ever talked to person B? No. Can you get me in touch? Yeah. And uh, my wife teases that um, whether we lived in Illinois or the latter years in Arkansas or now in Texas, she said, this JFK stuff just follows you around. It just finds you. <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 I chuckle at that because it's true. You know, I, um, I just reconnected with a guy that I was in touch with 40 years ago. And he put me in touch with Antoinette Giancana. And, um, well, tell that, tell that story. If you would, I've been wanting to dance around to that one. Tell that one. Well, my, uh, my upcoming column, um, which will be out, um, hopefully on the 24th, it's in two parts. So my next JFK column, um, the JFK files, hopefully part one's in in the 24th and part two in the 31st. And uh, I was able to spend uh, well over an hour with the daughter of the Chicago mobster, Sam Giancana. And we talked about her father. We talked about life in Vegas. We talked about Phyllis McGuire, one of his girlfriends. We talked about Judith Campbell Exner, who also was bedded by 
the president. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did Gene Khanna use Judith Campbell Exner to get information to JFK or money? We talked about her father's murder and who did it. We talked about Kennedy's murder and who did it, in her opinion. And uh, it's almost a 2,000 uh, word piece in two parts. So that that will be in the voice, hopefully, the 24th and 31st. HSVVoice.com, HSVVoice.com. I strongly recommend, on advice of Miss Jennifer Allen, that you subscribe to the wonderful Hot Springs Village Voice, and they will mail you a copy every Tuesday, right? I'll second that. You'll second that. And uh, there was a fascinating article yesterday on page two about the uh, Town Homeowner Association president that's uh, talking about remodeling DeSoto courts. You know, yeah. how do you, how do these things come up? What, how did that come about? Uh, that no, guy? no. I tell you, that Lewis guy, he just writes whatever he wants. I'm telling you. It just fell out of the clouds. I'm going to be very frank. I can be a, a tough critic for media. I can be a very tough critic for media. You and Lewis both. I, I will begrudgingly trust you with my character in any instance. Lewis is just spot on. It, it, what what I say, he what I when he interviews me and I ask the answer the question, it I feel like it's communicated fairly and evenly every time. And you too, by the way. Well, thank you. You know, um, I think you know I've been with the Voice since '07. Mm-hmm. That's quite a while now. And for the whole time, you know, we've always taken pride in not taking sides, Mm -hmm. what journalism used to be. And, you know, from, you know, when I was managing editor for four years, you know, I got more of this than before and after because, you know, everybody that had a gripe, that's who they they came to you, which was part Mm -hmm. of the job. And we would get um, accusations that, you know, you're favoring this side or that. And just, or that we should be favoring this side and that. And I would answer back that, you know, we're not Fox. We're not CNN. We don't take sides. We present information and you can decide. Mm. And, and, and you know, there I, were other times when people would say, you know, like, well, I wonder what, uh, you know, Leslie Nally's up to, or I wonder what's so-and-so. And then they would speculate in a letter to the editor. And I would always think, well, if you have a question for Le- Leslie Nally or, Kelly Hale or whomever, why don't you contact them? Instead of just asking it in a public forum, why don't you yeah. ask them? And w- then yeah. we can discuss it. But I yeah. think I think what you're referring to, Jeff, is exactly what drives people nuts. And, and that, you know, you get a one star review that says you don't reach any conclusions. You don't you don't take a side. It's not my job to take a side. It's my job to share the data. Right. Yeah, that's how um, the voice operates. That's how most of my writing is. Um <clears throat> The the JFK case is too complicated um, to to act like you know what the heck the real answers are or the truth is. Um, I mean, there's I'm just one of hundreds of people who have devoted a lifetime to this, and the fellow who did the uh, um, Freedom of Information Act request that found out about George Juanides, the file clerk who didn't know anything about yeah, the yeah yeah the retired file clerk yeah I, I kind of like. His answer when he's asked, so who killed President Kennedy? And Jefferson Morley says, I don't know. It's too early to tell. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if you know. I don't know if you know. There's a guy called H.W. Brands 
who is yes. a oh yeah famous news uh, a famous historian professor out of University of Texas at Austin. Uh, but the, that is apparently that is the historian's joke because they ask him what about the legacy of of Clinton of, of excuse me the legacy of Lincoln. And he said, oh, it's too early to tell. So yeah. I, that's their running joke, I'm pretty sure. But okay. but I get the gist. But I, so and we got to wrap it up. I know we're time. But w- once again, you're going to be here on the 13th and at the Village Voice. And we can come by and get a signed book of what's the new book? It's called The JFK Files, Pieces of the Assassination Puzzle. I'm also going to bring copies of my other book, uh, other books, The Manipulation of Lee Harvey Oswald and the cover-up that followed that will dig deep into Oswald's actions and the CIA's tentacles all around him. And then the first book I wrote was uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, Alone Gunner. I got to read that manipulation. I got to read. I want the second one. I want the manipulation one. That that sounds too fascinating. Um, I'm going to bring all three. Good, good. I, I want, I want, to, I want a signed one of the second one, by the way. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I want to come back that, to this. I'm and, to that THA guy. <laughs> that THA guy this week. Let's see what yeah. he does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm coming back to that just for a second. And I understand not everybody makes a conclusion and whatever. But uh, if there was, if there was a second gunman, <laughs> if wink, wink, uh, was he in the grassy knoll? I believe there was a shot from the front, yes. Really? Um, yeah, I do. Um, for several reasons. Um, first of all, uh, the House Select Committee on Assassinations, right at the end of their uh, hearings, and just before they published their report, they did some acoustical testing Oh. by Bolt, Baranek, and Newman, who at that time was the expert at acoustical study. They were the, they were the, uh, company that, uh, was able to identify who fired the first shots at Kent State. They were hired to try to figure out what was on the 18 minute gap in the Watergate tapes. I mean, they, they were top shelf. And their conclusion was that there, there was a 95% chance people forget or better that a shot was fired from the front. Really? Now, yeah. Now, other people have looked at that data and, and dismiss it as, as inaccurate. And other people have looked at it after the House Subcommittee and say that it's solid. So it's up in the air. But there were also nine people in the plaza who either saw a puff of smoke or a flash of light or people running away from the back of the picket fence. Mm-hmm. And I think when you take all that together, um, that has convinced me that there was a shooter in the front. Plus, as I said, how this stuff just kind of follows me around. I got to know the daughter of an FBI lab agent, laboratory agent, who handled the Kennedy, Connolly, and Tippett evidence. This is also in the new book. And this person let me look at her father's handwritten i mean this was the raw data right 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 just raw and, notes as he was doing it yep and i verified that that's your father's handwriting right well yeah i you know watched my whole life for 40 years yeah uh and when i got to the bottom of this one document one handwritten page i got down to the bottom and it said that he didn't find any traces of copper in the throat area on the tie or the shirt collar uh of kennedy's clothing now, Oswald or whoever of 
fired copper jacketed bullets. Mm-hmm. And there's evidence that the back wound Kennedy has traces of copper. And I won't go into all of it, but I confirmed that all the uh, five wounds on Connolly, back, chest, wrist, wrist, thigh, had copper traces. So if it's the super bullet, magical bullet, the magical bullet. magic bullet, the single bullet theory. So if one bullet did all this, why is there copper here and copper all over there, but there's no copper here? You know, the, it the, 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 it can't be. The Zacruder film basically shows the one thing that everybody who's, who's not very technical, who don't have, who, the people who don't have acoustical training, who can't measure milliseconds of the audio, who can't whatever. The the one shot where he's thrown back like this and he's grabbing his throat, nobody can explain that. There's just, yeah, exactly. There's just no explanation for that. except And, you know, the police officers off to the left side of Kennedy in the rear, mm-hmm. um, uh, Cheney, uh, Hargis and Cheney, um, they were covered with blood and brains. And people say, well, that's because they drove through the cloud of, Brain and tissue as it came down, but that's not the case. If you look at their testimony, they one of them said <clears throat> that they were hit with that stuff so hard they thought they might have been shot. Really? Yes. Well, as always, Jeff. It's and we I apologize. Go for hours, couldn't we? But, what, what, and <laughs> the clock keeps t- catching us. What is the problem here? I don't know. As always, it's a delight. Can't wait to see you on the 13th and the 14th at the Washtenaw Speaker Series. The Washtenaw Speaker Series will be fascinating. Yeah. Thanks again for your time. Jeff Meeks of of the Hot Springs Village Voice, Dennis Simpson, Hot Springs Village Inside Out. We will see you next time. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for watching and listening to Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a weekly podcast starring Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Visit the website at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com.